welcome to another episode of I Am Nano. Putting the I in I Am Nano, I am your host, Erfani. And I am your other host, Monica. And today, as part of our Nano Life series, we have a very, very special guest who will be sharing his experiences, advice, and opinions on pursuing a nanotechnology PhD and creating two nanotechnology startups. Yeah, not one, but two. That's amazing. Super excited to introduce Rob, who has graduated from a nanotech PhD, as you mentioned, and during his postdoc in only three years has created these two nanotech companies. That is truly remarkable and excited to have you on the show. Yeah, we're really, really excited to showcase you today, Rob. Let's start from the beginning. So what was your research focus for your doctorate? So my main focus was uh, exploring various nanomaterials for water purification applications Mm -hmm. uh, to treat problems like pharmaceuticals in drinking water or algal toxins in blue-green algae. So I was trying to figure out and design different types of photocatalysts. So they're special materials that uh, generate redox reactions when you apply either sunlight or UV light. So my main focus was on, on those materials and looking at the different applications we could use like water filtration or mm. to prevent uh, corrosion in steel structures and also to degrade like these emerging contaminants like different types of hormones, like endocrine disrupting chemicals that Mm. affect different types of fish and wastewater treatment effluents. So I looked at all the whole gamut of uh, water treatment applications. So the goal is to basically make the water that we drink as clean as possible, right? Correct. So there's different, um, it actually comes mainly from agriculture. So mm-hmm. they pump a lot of hormones in the cattle or different types of animals and uh, they leach out these uh, hormones like testosterone or estrogen mm-hmm. and they eventually end up in our wastewater system but the, these wastewater systems don't fully degrade these compounds and so mm-hmm. it ends up in different types of watersheds and these can affect the different fish that live there, especially the smaller fish like uh, rainbow darters, which we have found in the Grand River. And mm-hmm. they actually affect the uh, male f- physiology and also their reproductive system. So they're not as active and <laughs> they're, they don't- They're not producing procreate. more babies. They're not producing many babies. <laughs> and so it kind of diminishes the rainbow diver communities. It must have been very difficult to do all of that on top of, you know, being a normal human being, I guess, in a way, and still, you know, wanting to do all this work, but having, you know, nor- maybe normal social life or anything like that. We were wondering, what were some of the personal challenges you faced during your time as being a grad student and I guess student overall when, you know, you saw maybe some of your other friends or peers that weren't, were not, they, they didn't keep doing school, you know, they stopped at the 
master's or bachelor's level, they're out doing other stuff, you know, having their careers, whereas you're still in school. Can you speak to kind of those personal challenges that you faced at all? I think uh, we can step back a bit. Um, so with going into grad school, um, I actually calculated like the opportunity costs of going to grad school, right. uh, at, at least financially. Um, mm -hmm. I was willing to take that risk uh, just so I could uh, focus on research, which I really, really like based on my co-op or co cooperative education experience. So those are inter internships that occur in your undergrad and Waterloo, which is the university I went to, is was actually good with um, this program. And they offered you opportunities that most undergrad students around the world don't have the opportunity, uh, which is to have some work experience. So mm -hmm. I did that throughout my undergrad and I really like the opportunities where I did research. So that's why I chose to go to grad school. And in terms of my personal challenges, I think in 2015, I really hit a wall in terms of my research. And that was a point where I didn't want to step in the lab <laughs> or do any work. Um, and you, you could see it in my uh, research record, 2015, I didn't do much work. And that was that was when I focused on other like personal goals. Like I wanted, I haven't traveled much at that point, mm -hmm. so I really got into the hobby of hiking. So I was hiking like different uh, places in Ontario, different parks, camping out more often, which I've never done previously. So I really enjoyed that and. My goal at that time was to train to climb a mountain. Oh. Uh, it's called Mount Rainier, and that's located in Seattle, which is a uh, which is in Washington State, so West Coast United States. And I found that experience really enjoyable. You so, climbed it. You actually climbed Mount yeah, Rainier. Yeah, I, I climbed it, but oh, with wow, the help of nice. with the help of like. Um, trained uh, mountaineers. Wow. Uh, yeah, so Mount Rainier is actually an active volcano. Oh so my goodness. You can actually smell the sulfur coming out of that volcano. Oh and my goodness. Yeah, it was an interesting experience. Um, it was oh. challenging. Uh, I got high altitude sickness when I was up there. But uh, I went in trade that experience. I think it, it was what I was needed to finish my PhD. And in 2015, like, I would take like three days off to uh, spend time training for that climb. Wow. So uh, I would train at Blue Mountain and Glen Eden. So they're uh, ski, ski hills in <laughs> Ontario because we, we don't have any real mm. mountains. Yeah, yeah. And some weekends I would go to New York State. So the highest peak there is Mount Marcy. So I actually trained at these several these mountains and 
I had like a mountaineering bag with like rice bags in there to simulate like the weight I was going to carry in Mount Rainier. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was probably not a good idea because (laughs) some of those climbs I couldn't do with the rice bag. (laughs) Oh my goodness. How long did the Mount Rainier track take? So that was actually a three-day climb. Three Um, days? Yeah, it was three days. Um, You had to carry your own food. Um, Wow. Yeah, we were with a guide and several other uh, people who wanted to climb the mountain. You're kind of tethered to your guide and other people who paid to climb that mountain. And that's challenging, which uh, we didn't account for. Like you're strapped together with another person and sometimes... Literally, you're strapped. Yeah, you're strapped and they're trying to... Sometimes they're lagging behind, so you could feel that tension like mm-hmm. the physical tension mm-hmm. and they're kind of dragging you down and everything feels heavier that's symbolic for like group work <laughs> or something that's true that's yeah, so true it, it's yeah. a good uh, team exercise i think something every research team should probably do i was wondering do you think that it's common for phd students to kind of like hit a wall at some point within their graduate career I and think... then you know just drop everything and take some time off yeah, I think it happens to everyone who does the PhD. You could probably say something to that, uh, Monica <laughs> or Fani, but uh, I think most people do feel that maybe after their first or second year. Mm-hmm. Um, I did go with, with a friend, and what he chose to do instead was to quit his PhD and just start working. Really? So different people experience things differently really like when i finished the climb i was more more motivated to complete my phd whereas he found his calling so he he took a year off or maybe six months and he started doing photography which he really liked and through that process he started to think about the different types of jobs he wanted to be in and he chose to be an optical engineer so he, he liked optics he liked photography and i think mm-hmm. that was a good fit for him whereas I, I it motivated me that experience to you know batten down and like do my research and Get finish up my phd Perfect. and that also gave me the motivation to start uh, a company with my mm-hmm. supervisor and uh, another friend who works at Mayant. So that's a wearables mm-hmm. company. Yeah, I think it was doing something different, something challenging that mm. made me focus even more. Well, I guess the question following up to that is throughout the journey, would you say that there would be anything you would like to do differently? in graduate school? For sure. Um, I think going into grad school, I could have taken more internships in different types of companies during Mm -hmm. the early years, like the year one or year two. Um, Like perhaps uh, looking at a different field, like say water treatment, I could have gone to a company like 
Trojan Technologies, which focuses on UV technologies, like mm-hmm. do an inter- internship there or Veolia, all these different companies that probably have internship programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have chosen to do that. And part of me also wanted to go to different countries and experience their university life and their cultures. Uh, especially in Europe, like Switzerland or Germany mm-hmm. or Japan and even Australia. And I didn't so, mention the States because uh, I think it's uh, more similar to Canada and their culture is a lot of a lot of work, I think. I, I don't think uh, it's not a different culture enough for me to go to the States and um, do their research. So essentially just get as much experience and broaden your horizon as much as possible during grad school, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it takes a little longer, at least you're developing new skills along the way, would you say? Yeah, developing new skills, learning another language and a different culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, that would have been that would have been good, but I'm also I don't really regret the path I, I've chosen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's made you where do. you are today. Yeah, really yeah, doing like, amazing things, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I, I guess part of this equation is that you have to sacrifice some things uh, for the goals you want to achieve, and mm-hmm. my goal was to essentially take my ideas and prototype them and eventually commercialize them mm-hmm. uh, to the point where it becomes a business or company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess actually I had a question on that too, or maybe you can both chime in here. I think a lot of the times people see, oh, you have a PhD, you're so successful. It must be easy for you. It's easy because you did it. It's easy because you're special. Um, they don't really see like how hard you must have worked to get there. I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of judgment or criticism your way at all. I've never heard that criticism like explicitly. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe some people feel that way, and. To them, I would say like everyone has different skills and abilities, and the people who do P- PhD are typically people that are that like to try different ideas. They, they like to delve in different types of research and development, and they're also very open. They like to take in new cultures and experiences, mm-hmm. and. I don't think that's everyone, and it does take dedication and discipline to produce uh, research papers. It's also, I find, lonely because you're trying different new things and not everyone's going to understand what you're trying to do, or Mm -hmm. I imagine your parents don't understand what you're doing, right? (laughs) So describing it to them is uh, often difficult. And yeah, I don't think anyone can judge like what you're doing. I think 
everyone has different abilities and skills、mm-hmm. and they should try to develop them.、Mm-hmm. And I think when you say that peop- the people that criticize you, they're probably at a very young age, probably in their 20s. So they haven't had many life experiences. And I, I think as they grow, they'll realize everyone has a different journey. Different life experiences and challenges.、Mm-hmm. And I guess over time you, you develop a humility and、uh, you don't have the same judgments of people. And that's what I find with、uh, at least my friends and the people that I know. Like maybe at a younger age they were more criticize, criticize, criticizing different people. But now they're more calmer, they're more humble, just、mm-hmm. because they've experienced different challenges in their lives. Yeah, you're so wise. Thank you for sharing all that. So, Dr. Rob, what are you working on right now? I'm working at a company called Elysian Tech as the head of product development. So, over there, I'm responsible for the intellectual property development and managing. The day to day activities for the research and development team. So, at Elysian Tech, our technology is antimicrobial coatings and treatments for various types of non wovens and te- textiles. We're aiming to apply this technology in several industrial fields, such as the medical field, the food and beverage field, transportation sector, and The HVAC and filtration sector as well. Was the company started inspired by an event? Yeah, so the company started at the height of the COVID 19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. So at that time, I was actually working on different types of、uh, mass prototypes as a volunteer. So we were looking at different PPE that could substitute for respirators and ASTM masks. So, a lot of these respirators and masks were unavailable at the time. So, we thought, well, we, what can we use to essentially get high filtration rate for off the shelf components? So, we thought of using like a resuscitation masks and inserting CPAP or resuscitation filters. and Incorporating them、uh, into a mass product and just using like elastic bands as a strap for hospital workers who need the high filtration levels to operate in their job. So that was early in like April 2020, where、mm, very early. Yeah, where we didn't have. The shipments of respirators or masks.、Mm-hmm, right. And so I volunteered my time、uh, for that project. I was also looking at like different disinfection technology to reuse N95 masks.、Mm-hmm. And we did get a, a project out of that, like a small grant to study the effects of UV on N95. And around that time, I met my current CEO and head of industrial relations, Alian Tavit. And they contacted the Waterloo Research Office. And eventually,、uh, my name popped up and we had a discussion. And they wanted to incorporate their 
antimicrobial um, technology that they initially had an idea for. And they thought I was a good candidate to help them uh, deliver on that promise for their, at that time, uh, their partner in manufacturing. So that's how I got to know them. And eventually, uh, over the span of several months, we formed a company which is now known as Elysian Time. So how did a PhD help you in that venture with Elysian? I think how my PhD helped me was essentially getting all that knowledge in material science and engineering. So I did say that I worked in different types of nanomaterials for water treatment applications. Mm -hmm. But the skills that you get from doing all those projects is that you can also apply the knowledge in material science and engineering into different types of applications such as uh, antimicrobial technology. So during my PhD, I not only focused on synthesizing materials for water treatment, but also in like 3D printing or um, thermoelectric materials. I've done antimicrobial uh, coatings in the past as well. So uh, that whole experience allowed me to better understand their problems and hear a solution that was affected on a commercial scale. In addition to the knowledge that you've gained both the hard and soft skills in grad school, I'm sure the challenges are a little bit different, right? This time with company, because in this case, you're not aiming to kind of produce a paper, but your aim is to make a commercial product, right? So what kind of challenges did you face when it I comes to commercializing it? The biggest uh, issue is in the sales, right? So you have to, there's a lot, it's a more complex process. So you have to have the proper customer who will want this product and are willing to give you a, a good cut on it. So a, a good you, you should make profit out of it. So mm -hmm. you need to select a partner that is able to give you that. Uh, second, you have to develop a low cost product, preferably for this type of business. And with that, you're limited in the types of different materials you could use mm -hmm. to incorporate like antimicrobial finish to a textile. Mm -hmm. So there's limitations there. Uh, secondly, you have to look at the entire supply chain and quality management of the materials that you send to different vendors to get uh, the textile treated. So they have to be available. They have to be available in bulk. Mm -hmm. And you have to, it's more people oriented, I guess I would say in general and right. they have to eventually get paid you have to get paid yeah. and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a difficult process there's a lot of negotiation um, that's involved and I, I think that's the most 
difficult process uh, when you're comparing with academia. In academia, you're mostly focused on publishing. Mm -hmm. uh, there's usually not many barriers that get in the way. Um, it, it, it's just the struggles in R&D. But when you're dealing with a company, there's outside influences, which you can't always control. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's the most challenging aspect of like running a company. So it's more people, more social challenges that's involved as opposed to technical limitations? Yeah, it's almost like maybe like 1% technical. Really? The rest, the rest is uh, managing people. Really? Wow. Uh, leadership and uh, negotiation and debate. So you're not always going to get your point across or your point will not always be valued the same way as you might think it should be valued. Mm -hmm. And having, I guess, learning to deal with that and improving yourself, I think that's, I think that's the most like rewarding thing, but also it's also uh, ongoing struggle with mm -hmm. uh, entrepreneurs and myself included. Would you say that for a scientific endeavor, novelty is highly valued in academia, whereas in a company, you're focusing more on developing the product. It doesn't have to be novel. So you're not trying to develop like this fancy new mechanisms or formulas to develop the product. You just need to get the product out and be able to package it to something that is in demand. Yeah, so for academia, I, I agree with you that it's mostly on novelty and mm -hmm. you have to get papers that are novel in the sense that no one has done this before. It's a different approach to a scientific problem. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're running a company, you're trying to solve a customer's problem to the best of your ability. Right. So you can solve a customer problems with different approaches and the customer essentially has to like that solution to be able to pay for it. Right. And yeah. that's not always the most novel idea or mechanism that you might develop. It might be. So it's not always the case that the most novel solution is the best one. It's often the case, the solution that solves most of the customer customer's problems or all of it. That's the solution you should aim for. And mm -hmm. it, it might be the most simplest, and the solution that is already available in the market. And it might just be a marketing play or how you package that solution to the customer that matters mm -hmm. more. Thank you so much, Rob. You're so wise. Thank you for letting us pick your brain for, you know, this little while out of taking and taking the time out of your busy schedule. So our last question is, where do you see the future of nanotechnology? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> to so um, I, I guess I can talk about where, what I'm trying to aim for personally. Uh, and okay. I think you probably discussed it in your previous episodes. So I think graphene has like a lot of useful properties in terms of the mechanical, electrical and optical properties. But the current problem is that it's costly right now and 
with that cost, you can really have it in different applications that uh, you might want to integrate it with, like in different types of composite materials and using it for different filtration applications in um, my case. So I, I think the future of nanotechnology or one of the futures is the development of uh, scalable graphene synthesis technique that will allow graphene to be ubiquitous. So it'll be applied in your glass coatings, your water filters at a very uh, cheap rate. And another, I guess another path for nano is also in metamaterials meta and different functional materials. So with the advent of like AI and machine learning, I think materials discovery is going to be a much easier process mm -hmm. than it is now. Right now it's mostly like trial and error and a formal understanding of different uh, chemistry processes. And I think in the future, when we integrate like uh, AI with materials discovery, it'll be much easier to develop like novel materials, mm -hmm. such as uh, metamaterials and having them integrated for various industries, like the automotive industry or military and defense. The third avenue, I would say, as a possible future for nanotech. So right now, there's a lot of work being done in quantum computing. So companies like D-Wave, uh, Intel, Google are all, all working on quantum computing. And I guess the biggest breakthrough they can achieve is try to achieve some sort of uh, room temperature operation for these quantum computers. So right now they require uh, low temperatures, liquid nitrogen temperatures. So close to zero Kelvin to mm -hmm. actually uh, be useful in any computing operation. And it's also restricted to a small number of uh, computations. So it's not really useful for a lot of our daily uh, numerical computations that we might need for our applications. So like video streaming or, or, um, or if you're doing work on CAD, you wouldn't need a quantum computer for that. So their scientists and engineers are looking at different applications for quantum computing and where it might be useful, maybe in crypto cryptography. Mm -hmm. But to get to that level, I think we need some sort of uh, room temperature operation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And just to define how cold zero Kelvins is, that's minus 270 degrees Celsius, which equals to minus 459 Fahrenheit. So if you think winters in Canada are cold, you know. Oh, it's even colder than that. Even yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the coldest temperature in like Siberia is minus 50 Celsius. So much, much colder than that. So definitely, mm -hmm. I agree, we need room temperature operating computers. You have to get some supercomputers of the future, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of cool things coming up in nanotechnology in the next few decades. And I think we're all very excited about them. Thank you yeah. so much. All right. Thank you so much, Rob, again for your time and for letting us
ask you all these questions and for imparting mm-hmm. your wisdom to <laughs> everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, so we will link all the work. Well, not all the work, but his companies down all below. The work. Yeah, there's too many. <laughs> there's so there's a lot of amazing things that he did. So, so we're gonna share it with you guys. You guys can also check it out. Um, yeah, so that is all the nano for today. Take care and stay curious.